And I just think it's important to make sure that we model what it means to see everyone, not just in the big town halls, not just in the employee appreciation notes, but in what we do and how we do it. And taking the time to engage with those furthest removed is what is what really embodies culture and what I try to do every day. See the unseen and see the people that really help um, build your company. Welcome to View from the Top, the podcast. That was Tashonda Brown Duckett, CEO of TIAA. Tashonda visited the Stanford Graduate School of Business as part of View from the Top, a speaker series where students like me sit down to interview business leaders from around the world. I'm Adrian Negreros, an MBA student of the class of 2021. This year, I had the pleasure of interviewing Duckett from her home office in New York. She shared stories of financial equity and health, how you rent your title and own your character, and the need to lead with kindness. You're listening to View from the Top, the podcast. Wow, Tashana, that's quite a resume there. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. It's a privilege. You know, I, I woke up on a Saturday morning a few weeks ago and was thinking, do I go to the gym or not? You, on the other hand, woke up on a Saturday a few weeks ago and were the CEO of TIA. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and I, I, we're just feeling tons of gratitude for this conversation right now. And I hope you've had a chance to celebrate, let it all sink in a little bit. And again, thank you for the work you're doing. It's an incredible organization impacting folks that really are the backbone of everything we have here in the country. Absolutely. And the success, it doesn't come alone though, right? Dean Levin mentioned Otis and Rosie Brown. Yeah. And you said you were on the shoulders of giants way back when during that move from the East Coast over to Texas. How did Otis and Rosie make this all happen? <laughs> well, again, it's such a privilege to have the honor to, to speak with all of you. And, um, you know, you're right, Adrian, when I woke up on that Saturday, I probably did not go to the gym. Um, <laughs> but I will say that I woke up and continue to be full of gratitude. And you can't have the moment of being a CEO of a company like TIAA, TIAA without being reflective. And that brings me to, you know, your question, when you think about Otis and Rosie Brown, they are my anchor, you know, they are my roots. And when I think about what they mean to me, uh, my dad taught me to reach for the moon. And he would say, you know, even if you miss, you would be among the stars. And I am still reaching for that moon. Uh, my mom would always tell me, you know, whatever you do, you know, you do, you do it with excellence or you don't do it at all, no matter what it is. And so those just life lessons along the way, not just what they said, but what they embodied, not what they embodied, but what I saw growing up and all the sacrifices. It's all of that that allows me to be in the seat that I am today. And again, being on the shoulders of my parents and so many others before me um, has me full of gratitude and a lot of humility. Absolutely. And there were a ton of sacrifices from your parents, right? You told Absolutely. the story about you told the story about driving with your car, five of you packed in there, everything yeah. you in that car. So that says something, right? No, it does. I mean, when you think about it, you know, I'm first generation integration. 
And, you know, it seems so long ago when we talk about, you know, the, the course of our society. Uh, my dad grew up in the segregated South in Louisiana. My mother grew up um, in Alabama. They met in, in New York. But when we moved to Texas, uh, my parents packed everything that we owned. So it was, you know, three children, my mom and my dad and everything that we owned, which is you can imagine in a car, that's not much. Um, and I always say that that was a real moment because when I think about it, you know, I started my life in Texas sitting on crates. Mm. And when you think about where you've been and you think about where you are, you can't help but think through those moments. And I think it's important that we are okay talking about those moments because the reality is it's those moments that anchor us. It's those moments that teach us empathy or humility it's those moments that showed us grit and tenacity. And so we meet, and I've met so many amazing people along the way, but the real lessons come from those everyday people. And for me, that was Otis and Rosie Brown, when I think about their sacrifice and trying to do the very best that they could to provide for us, even in moments their best was not sufficient, it was their best. And you know, I'm forever grateful for that. I'm sure they're extremely proud of you. And you said it yourself, right? You can't, you can't forget some of these folks that are making the sacrifices. You've said when you're on the 50th floor at JP Morgan Chase, yes. it's, it's the people that are in the mail room, it's the reception, yes. the cooks that yes. crack the ceiling, right? Yes. And a lot of times people say, well, what do you mean? Um, and again, you know, being anchored in history. And when you think about when and how did my melanin, my complexion enter corporate America. It entered through the halls of janitors and cooks and secretaries. That was the first introduction to our brilliance. Mm -hmm. And so when I, when I would say to, to everyone, when I would look on the 50th floor and I see Rockefeller, I would say, you know, he couldn't imagine me being the face to his bank, you know, having the privilege to lead the consumer bank. But you have to give homage to those who did not have these amazing rented titles, but mm. they showed up with strong character. They showed up with a level of excellence. They showed up when they weren't really being seen. And so when I think about where I am today, I think about those cooks and those janitors that were just putting cracks in the ceiling that over time I could exist. And so many people like me could exist. And so I, I have a lot of respect uh, to those who've come before me that were in roles that truly paved the way. And I'm sure your leadership is unnoticed by them, right? You you literally have told stories where you go down in the mailroom and says, yeah. it all starts here, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, look, when I think about Otis Brown or when I think about so many people, spe specifically people of color, many times we are disproportionately in those lower wage jobs or we are in those entry level jobs. And so it does not escape me that when I have an opportunity to be a CEO or to be in a leadership position, to make sure I go and see those individuals, to make sure that I can talk about the strategy and the role that they play. And so when I would go to the mailroom, I would tell the, the young individuals that when you see us talking about earnings or talking about that client experience, I would say, I want you to brush your shoulders off and know that you had a role to play because you started the process. You had to do your job with excellence when people made their payment in auto to make sure it went to the proper shoot so, what, so it would post on time. And so by connecting them and understanding that they matter, 
and that they have a voice and that they have a role to play. What I get in return is that the people furthest removed from our result see their role in our result. And what was so great is after I was, you know, telling them how awesome they were, I remember one of the uh, gentlemen looked at me and he was like, you welcome, we got you, you know? <laughs> and I just think that's important because that's Otis Brown. My dad worked in a warehouse and mm. he's brilliant. He didn't go to college, but he's brilliant. And he taught me so much. And I just think it's important to make sure that we model what it means to see everyone, mm. not just in the big town halls, not just in the employee appreciation notes, but in what we do and how we do it. And taking the time to engage with those furthest removed is what is what really embodies culture and what I try to do every day. See the unseen and see the people that really help um, build your company. Your leadership is just jumping from the screen right now. Like, <laughs> I don't want to like cry 10 minutes of this interview. So I think we have a quick video to show how much <laughs> folks appreciate your leadership. So we can oh, see that. Wow. I can't even express it to you. I think it's one thing to be able to come in this building every Saturday and we're so grateful to be here, but to be able to see all these black entrepreneurs doing so amazing. But you're the CEO of Chase. Like, that's my name. I have to that's my Like, oh my God. And it's just amazing to see that you look like me and you're able to do that and have that impact. So thank you. <laughs> and I know this was viral a couple of years ago, 2019, but Chloe, I mean, I just I can't. Chloe kills it right there. Yeah. She's now like my oh. niece. I keep in touch with her. Um, she, she's amazing. Uh, and you're right. It went viral, uh, because it was a real human moment. And I think it touched a chord in the art of possibility mm -hmm. when people can see themselves in what it means to be excellent. They can then be reminded that they are worthy and deserving of that same level of excellence. And I think that's what Chloe and I represented with the beautiful words that she expressed in such a real and human moment. And it was really heartfelt. Um, and I think people, people could relate to it. People could understand it. Um, and I think hopefully it's a, it's a nod in the right direction of the work we still need to do in corporate America. And I think it's important because when you look at the stats, right? And I, I know this is a business class, so I have to drop a few stats here. Let's do it. It is Stanford after all. But I was looking at the Fortune 500. And when we talk about all the work that we do, all the initiatives that are out there, we have to be outcome driven. And the reality is there's only, I think, 41 women that are leading a Fortune 500. There are 16 Latinx, and there were three African-Americans. Mm -hmm. And so we can talk about all the things that um, we're doing, but we have to ask ourselves, if we believe that talent is created equally and opportunity is not, mm. it bears out when you look at the shape um, and the profile of those who are leading Fortune 500 companies, which says to me, we still have a lot of work to do. And it, it, it really, I think hits a nerve when you see the video like Chloe and I having a moment because it matters. And clearly mm -hmm. the outcomes are not bearing what we believe and what we aspire to be true as a country. For sure. I love the stats and the facts. I think they ground us. The one that I wanted to mention, since you are very vocal on financial equity and health for everyone, not just leaders, yes. is the median net worth of black single men and women versus black single um, 
white men and women. I'll, I'll let you share the information, but I think that that's important to return to the numbers and remember we, we fight for progress, we want progress, but there's still some very harrowing statistics out there. Yeah, and I, I think when you look at the numbers, you know, it tells us what all we still have to do to make sure that there's full inclusion and equity for all Americans. And so what you're referencing is the median net worth of single black men and women are like 200 to $300 versus white men and women, which is around 15 to $28,000. And so when you think about that, we have to say, what is going on? And we have to take a moment and say, what has to change? And what do we do? What are those choke points that we have to unlock? Because clearly as a society, as a, as, a, as a human race, we cannot be okay with those statistics. And we have to know that we can do better and that surely it cannot be all of the melanin that's mm. causing these results. It's not <laughs> the melanin. There's something else that's going on that we have to you know, lead boldly and, and be provocative about you know, these stats, but more importantly, be bold about what we can do better to move forward. As a starting point, maybe you, you mentioned in a TED talk, right? We just need to talk about money, period. And you you told the story. And money's personal. It's there's a lot of stuff that comes with it when you bring it up in a conversation. But you told the story, right, of your dad and the 401k, and just the knowledge of knowing that existed perhaps could have changed the financial situation, right? Yeah, I mean, when I think about my father and I think about my parents and I think about all the sacrifices that they made for us. And I remember after I graduated from college and, you know, I was looking at my dad's statements and to have to tell your father that um, you don't have enough, not even close to be able to retire. And what angered me is that the 401k was for him, but he didn't see it within himself. So the information or the way in which the information was shared he didn't think it was for him. And so when you think about these opportunities and you think about minorities participating in the stock market or understanding the power of compounding, or you think about you know, the homeownership rates, or you think about small businesses, you can go on and on, all of the things that can unlock wealth, generational wealth. Mm. There's more to it. The information may be out there, but can people see themselves? Are we making it where folks do not have to feel as if, I, I didn't go to college, so it's not for me. Or this was something that wasn't discussed and I don't want to seem less smart. And so I think the opportunity for us is to really make sure that we tap into not just the information, but how it's presented. And you're right, I talk about it um, in a TED talk because I said, you know, we have to talk about this without shame or judgment. <laughs> you know, like no shame, no judgment. Um, it's not where you start, is where you end up. And whether it's a dollar a day or a quarter, just get going and get started because that power of compounding and that behavior over time can really mean the difference when you think about your wealth. But clearly, a lot of times when people see their finances, they associate you know, their, their financial situation to their self-worth. And yeah. I like to say your net worth is not defined, does not define your self-worth. And I just think that's so important and we have to be okay. I like to say, you know, we know how to keep it 100, especially young people, but we have to know how to keep it 700 plus, mm -hmm. you know, we have to know how to get started and be okay, you know, with where we are, but saying, Hey, we can make these steps to have a better outcome and a better tomorrow. Absolutely. I, 
it's it's a great message. It's a scary, I think, thought for folks to make that initial plunge. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we can get more test minorities taking the plunge, understanding, as you said, the power of compounding and hopefully a more financially sound future for them. Absolutely. And, you know, beyond financial equity, it's obviously been a, a tough year for a lot of different reasons. I don't want to just ask about race outright. I think when you were talking to the mayor of Arlington, and I know Arlington is a super important place <laughs> for you, you said something actually, which was, it hit me pretty deep, which is, extraordinary is kindness yeah so if we're just kinder with each other more patient perhaps that's the starting point to ending some of these tensions which seem to be wrapped up in other you know things the news likes to highlight no i think you're right and you know i like to say you know what it means to be extraordinary are your ownable assets you know extraordinary is kindness extraordinary is laughter um i also think extraordinary is doing the work and so many times when we have these conversations particularly around race or inequality we want to start in the middle of a chapter and i think the way in which we can unlock and make real progress is to get proximate with the history and to really understand the structural inequities to really understand what it means when you grew up in a segregated south to really understand books like First School um, and, and, and the history that we have in our society that has caused so many inequalities. And it's not, again, to make people feel bad or ashamed, but it is to get to the root. In business, as you know, in business school, you have to get to the root cause, the root cause. And that's what you do in business. When you see something, you say, well, what is the root cause, the root cause analysis? And so I think that if we can get to the root, of the matter and get educated and get proximate and do it with a headset of kindness, a headset of saying, I want what you want. Mm. I want my children to breathe just like you want your children to breathe. You know, I want a full opportunity just like you want a full opportunity. And then we do the work. And I do think that if we work on ourselves and do it with kindness and do it with a level of curiosity, then it's us that become the people in positions of power. It is us that can then be that mom during us at a school and volunteering and doing the work. It is us, it is humanity that will unlock the progress. Policies and everything else will change when it's the people that decide that we can do better. And I think kindness is at the heart of everything that we do when you think about progress. That's incredible. If the people decide and kindness will be unlocked, everything will follow. Absolutely. That would be ideal. That's the work, right? That's the good trouble we have to get into and stay in. It's a fight worth fighting. But as you said, it's not new. There have been many people before us that have engaged in this. We need to learn from those lessons and continue to work forward. And the thing that I think is so powerful about that um, is that if we're honest with ourselves, we have made progress. And it is easier than it was for my grandparents. It is easier than it was from those who enslaved into the country. So mm -hmm. progress is slow. Progress does not go in a straight line. It goes up and down, but it's progress all the same. And so I think that it's important that when we are in positions of power, that we understand the platform and that we understand that it's more than just delivering on the financial results. 
It is about shaping a culture. It is about using our voice to make real progress in our country. And I think that's good for business. It's good for community. But it's also for me why I believe I'm in the seat. It is to stay in that good trouble and to create that art of possibility um, so that more people can ascend and really see the power that they have, but also be rewarded with their hard work and effort. And so progress is slow, but we, we are making progress. And I think we have to stay hopeful. At least I'm hopeful. I have no choice. I have a lot of kids. I have to stay hopeful and believe that they will have better days than I and those before me. Under your leadership, I'm sure they will. And they'll, they'll be leaders themselves very soon. And Absolutely. So, Tashanda, I want to end with a couple questions that are directly for the class of 2021. They have 20 days till they graduate. So we'll, we'll, look, we'll, we'll look for some advice from you on a couple different okay. topics. Okay, great. Amazing. So, firstly, you know, folks, they love the titles, the gold-plated careers. But as I think you said earlier, you know, you, you rent your title and you own yes. your character, right? Yes. So. What advice, and you've made these decisions for yourself, choosing the right position over money. What advice would you give folks that are perhaps grappling with that decision right now? Well, I'm glad you brought that point because I do think I want you all to write down and to know that you've written your title, you own your character. So you should show what with your ownable assets. And so when you're thinking about the job and you're thinking about the opportunity, what I would say is make sure that whatever role you take or whatever position, you know, understand the culture, understand, you know, who you are, understand and know that you have the power to make progress. And I also think that it's important to make sure that whatever road you travel to stay intellectually curious. And even if you take a role that may not be ideal, understand that there's a lesson in that moment. There's a lesson in that journey. And so it's not so much about which job you take or what, just make sure that whatever you decide, stick with it, take the lesson, you know, and know that I would rather take those lessons getting started so that when you level up, you're prepared because you've been tested versus running from job to job the minute it gets a little tough or you don't like something, then how are you going to grow? And then how are you going to have a perspective to be able to tell someone else something along the way? So rent your title, own your character. When you think about your role, stay curious, stick with it, and think about what's the lesson that you're supposed to learn and what is the gift that you're supposed to give to that environment. Strong start. I, I like all that advice. I'm going to follow okay. it myself. All right. Um, how about a mentorship? So you've mentioned before, perhaps you don't learn as much as you think from the, the person seven levels you know, above you in the C-suite. Perhaps it's the people around you that you should be looking for, for the learnings. What did you mean by oh that? Oh my gosh. So the minute we get into corporate America, all of a sudden we're like, I need these mentors that are already in these big roles. But I like to remind people, mentorship is all around you. It's all around you. And what I mean by that is when you think about who you are, there's so many facets of you. So how could one person give you that entire gift? So I get mentored by my assistant. She shows me the power of service, of how she shows up on my behalf with excellence. I am mentored by having this opportunity with the youth, the people that are going to do amazing things. And so my point is mentorship is all around you. It's in the history books that you read. It's in the observations of the youth. It's in senior leaders as well. But the most important thing is to understand that if you are truly trying to hone your skills, 
then you should hone that skill of not limiting who mentors you by their rented title. Mm. But who is showing up in a way that can teach you something that can iron your, your hone your skill set in a way that you can be a better human. And I just think mentorship is all around us. You have to just open up your eyes and be willing to receive it in whichever form that it presents itself. Absolutely. And I think closely on that topic around looking to the folks around you for leadership and for inspiration, your friends and perhaps yes. your partner as well. I think we have a yes. couple of pictures to show you. Sorry. <laughs> You guys time. did your work. <laughs> I love this. Check, check those comments there. Key to a long relationship, flirt with your husband. I love I it. I love that. You know, Beth Ford, CEO of Land Lake, said that the most important business decision you make is your partner. Yeah. I understand you guys have a wonderful relationship. So Me too. What, what advice would you give the MBAs on their friends and, if you want, their partner selection? Well, I... I love this question because so many times when we think about a relationship, you may say, you know, I want him to do this and I want him to do that or this or that for me, but it's the matters of the heart. And the reality is I have a man who's anchored in character. I have a man who believes that his role is to lighten my load, who understands that I want to impact the world. And so as a result, he's an engineer and a Marine, but he's a stay-at-home dad. You know, he runs our family office, I like to say. <laughs> um, but, he, but you know what? I just think it's about a partnership and it's about those ownable assets. And so whomever you choose to spend your time with, whether it's in life or in friendships, think about the character, think about the ownable assets um, because that's really what's going to, you know, help you navigate your storms, your ups and your downs. And I'm just incredibly blessed that I have a partner who truly is my partner in life. And most importantly, he's on this journey to help me be the best version of myself that I can possibly be. And he's additive to who I am and being able to unlock all of who I am when it comes to being a mother, a philanthropist, an executive, and all the other you know, titles that um, are part of my portfolio. That's incredible. I, I love to hear that. I think it's wonderful advice. Um, find someone additive who supports you, who makes Absolutely. you a better person, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. One more on the, on the career side, and then we'll give you our final question. So Great. obviously you took the new role at TIAA. Yes. What advice would you give to folks as they make these decisions? Perhaps they love the role they were in before, but now yeah. this opportunity arises. What is kind of your thought process and how do you make those, those decisions? Yeah, it's such a great question because I absolutely loved uh, my prior role. I love the company, the people. Um, I felt like I still had a lot of runway. Um, but I also believe in the art of possibility. Mm. And I believe in getting uncomfortable. And clearly, if there was a word to describe, you know, 2020, it was uncomfortability. But what was beautiful is when you sit down in your quiet moments and you ask yourself, you know, are you reaching your highest potential? Not from a title perspective, from an impact perspective. And when I realized that I wanted to be open to the art of possibility that maybe I can show up in a way that could be even more impactful, TIAA came knocking at the door. 
<laughs> and now what I can say in hindsight, of course, is that to be able to be the CEO of TIAA, full circle when I think about my parents, to be able to be the first woman, the third African-American to, to make history in so many ways, that's impact. Mm. You know, I like to say sometimes we, you know, we say we were trying to crack the ceiling and I'm like, forget the ceiling, just step outside. Now you're dealing <laughs> with the sky. You know, sometimes we just have to get out of our box of comfortability and know that, you know, we are we are worthy and deserving. And taking a risk is not a risk if your if your objective is impact. If your objective is something higher than yourself, then you have to be okay with getting uncomfortable and then going for it. Going for it. Listen to that quiet voice, do the work, be prepared. Don't leave when you're frustrated or mad. Make sure you have a clear mind and a clear heart and, 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 and listen to, to what could be there for you and be okay with it. What's the worst that can happen? Pretty good advice. Another set of incredible lines, forget the ceiling, step outside. It seems like you've practiced this before. No, hey, it's just real. It's so real. You know, I try to, I always say, model the behavior you aspire. You know, just don't talk about it, be about it. And so for me, what I'm sharing with mm. all of you is what I've experienced. You know, it's how I make sure that I'm always stepping into larger and larger containers and mm. not feeling that I'm limited. You know, and sometimes, especially as a woman, as a black woman, those limitations can feel heavy, you know? And that's when you have to say, when people are, are saying things or maybe marginalizing you, mm. you know, you have to do like when you receive something in the mail and it's not addressed to you, you return that to sender. And so if people are coming for me on things that are not me or do not define me, I'm not going to own that. I'm just going to politely just return that back to sender because that is not who I am. And, and that means I'm, I'm limitless. Mm. And then that means if I have to step outside, that's what I will do. Incredible. One last question for you, Tashanda. We've asked this to all the speakers this year. Right. In this challenging moment, in these tough times, what principles do you rely on as a leader? Oof. Wow. I mean, first, my faith is really important to me. Um, my character. Uh, knowing that it's okay to not be okay. Um, knowing that this too shall pass. Knowing that in our vulnerability can be the unlock to possibility. And I think as a leader, this notion of being curious, not just from a business sense, but I wanna know you. I wanna know what motivates you. I wanna know what makes your heart heavy. Because as a leader, I think if I can show my vulnerability, then I create permission for you to show yours. Mm -hmm. And it's in that vulnerability that allows us to take a breath. And that allows us to no longer wear the mask. You know, pa Paul Lawrence Dunbar wrote a poem, 1913, we wear the mask. We can take the mask off and then we can really focus on the work. And I think that's so important when I think about leadership principles, character, curiosity, you know, being vulnerable, authentic, and just knowing that the goal for me is to be the best version of myself. And that's what I expect for everyone else. And in order for you to be the best version of you, I have to create space for you to do that unapologetically. 
Thank you so much, Shoshanda, for chatting right now. It's been a complete pleasure. What a wonderful message to leave with. We have two student questions, and I know my classmates are incredible, so they're going to raise the bar even higher. I'm excited to invite them to join Great. us. Hi. Um, Hi. Is, it is, I can't believe I'm talking to you right now. This is amazing. Um, I worked at JP Morgan Chase in operations for the last three and a half years, so I know you as T. Thank you, T, <laughs> for joining. I'm so excited. Um, okay, so we talked about this already a little bit, and so maybe I'll position this question a little bit more tactically, but one of the things that has always struck me have been your anecdotes about leading people of all levels um, in you know, an enormous institution. Um, and the way you've done that is to build those relationships in the mailroom, et cetera. So I am pivoting to a career in hospitality, which is a big shift from operations at JP Morgan. Um, and as someone who's seen you model this behavior so well, I'm wondering what tactics you could share about how to how to build that credibility with those folks when you know your your invitation levels are different and your perspectives are different, but you're all critical to the work. Um, so yeah, I, I just love your thoughts and, and thanks again. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Lauren, right? Is it Lauren? Okay, great. Well, it's so great to meet you, Lauren. Um, first, I would say congratulations on deciding that you wanna pivot. That's not easy. Um, I can feel it. You're like, I don't know, I don't know, but you really wanna do it. Here's what you need to remember, Lauren. Show up with your ownable assets. What makes you special is that you have your own story and your own narrative. You worked in operations, so you understand process. You transfer that into hospitality. That is really important. The process, the change management, the different roles, what people do and how that impacts the presentment of ultimately whatever that is. You have that muscle. And so you may need to just be reminded that the work that you put in over the years is preparing you for this moment. Understanding the back office and understanding how important it is is so critical in hospitality because you'll see the people that are cleaning the rooms or preparing the meals or doing the landscaping. You'll understand that they are so important to the customer facing part of the equation. And then lastly, bet on yourself and show up with your character, show up with your intellectual curiosity, show up with your humble spirit, show up with that smile, show up with that level of, I don't know anything about it, but I'm so excited. <laughs> show up with all of that, because that gets that expression, that look you just gave, that's what's warming, that's what's inviting, and ultimately that's where your magic lies, that's where your superpower lies. Thank you so much. Wow, You're I welcome. feel so known in two minutes. I love this. <laughs> it's um, real though. It really is real. So good luck to you. You'll be fantastic. You. Thank you. IT, it is so awesome that you are here with us. Uh, you know, like Chloe, I am in awe and I'm just so grateful uh, to see you on the screen. So I really appreciate that. Um, I actually have to give credit to this question to one of my classmates who inspired it, Danielle. Um, and so my question is, you know, like sometimes if there is a CEO who is from an underrepresented background or who is a woman or who is a woman, Q&A's, fireside chats, et cetera, often focus on that identity. And I mean, we've talked about this already today and, and these questions are important, but I also imagine that it can be somewhat draining to have to answer what it's like to be a black woman in your role sometimes. 
And other CEOs don't have to do that. So I'm curious to hear from you, like, what question do we not ask you enough? And if you're willing, could you answer that question for us? <laughs> wow, what a powerful question. You said Danielle uh, gave you that? Oh, well, shout out to Danielle and to you, Chelsea, for asking it. Um, let me attack it um, in a couple of ways. First and foremost, the reality is being Black has shaped so much of who I am. I, I, it has. And the reality is I feel privileged to have the opportunity to talk about being Black or being a woman because I'm trying to get the world to get proximate to who we are so that we can change the outcome and the narrative of what is possible and to show that we belong. And so I am more than happy to carry the burden, if you will, because it's not for them, it's for you. That's what it's for. And I know that so many women and so many black women still feel invisible. And so if I chose to ignore that question or chose to just talk about return on capital or SBA or earnings, you would still not feel like you're being seen. And so I just think it's important to know your audience. And for me, I'm very confident in my ability to perform. You can check the receipts. <laughs> but what I really want to make sure is that a Chelsea can have a shot. And when there's more than just Roz and I leading a Fortune 500 as two Black women, then maybe I won't need to answer those questions. And to be quite honest, if the question wasn't asked, I would bring it up. Mm -hmm. Because I need to make sure that more women and more women of color and more people of color can understand that their voice is necessary and required. And I cannot water down our history. I cannot water down our story. And the more that I'm okay bringing that narrative into the boardrooms and into corporate America, from my hair, braid, straight, to my changing of glasses, to raising a Black boy, all of those narratives are important. So I'm not gonna water it down. And in fact, I'm gonna make sure that those stories continue to be, to be stated. Now, if you wanna ask what questions people don't ask that I wish that they would ask me more of, um, I would just say more about purpose. Because again, my performance speaks for itself. You could not be a leader and not perform, period, end of story. But what I want people to really ask me about is my why. Why do I believe I am the one with the privilege of having this seat? And therefore, I get to share more about purpose and impact. And my purpose is to inspire others. And if I can share more about who I am unapologetically, then hopefully I can inspire more people, more women, more you know, underprivileged or the voiceless to see that they have a shot. And they have a shot being unapologetically though. So hopefully that answers the question. Definitely does. And a very, very powerful answer. Thank you so much. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Such a great question. A fantastic question. I'm so fortunate. My classmates are incredible, as you've just seen in a small snippet. Um, lucky place to be in here. Tashonda, we have a lightning round uh, to close. I hope you're prepared for this. Yes, maybe not, but we'll see. <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> All right. I know you're a basketball family, so we'll start very simple. 
Jordan or LeBron? LeBron. Oh, okay. I like the decision. I, mean, I, I have to, right? He, the sneaker bringing brilliance to the boardroom. I, I love LeBron, but definitely love Jordan as well. So. Okay. Um, Kim Mulkey's 40 and 0 Lady Bears from 2011 2012, or the men's national championship team from this past year? Ooh, this March Madness was crazy. It was great. You know, wow. Both. I mean, I know I have to choose, but oh my gosh, both amazing runs. Amazing that's, runs. That's fair. I, I was very happy to see Baylor beat Gonzaga personally, but yeah. for another day. Another um, day. Better album, Beyonce's Dangerously in Love or Jay-Z's Watch the Throne? I'm all about the beehive. So Dangerously in Love. I love it. Okay. Should we pay off student debt now or invest in our retirement savings? Both. Okay. Both. Work to pay down your debt and always stay invested. Awesome. Last one. And there's no choice. We just need your answer. So okay. there's a bunch of ex-consultants and bankers and fo folks that love their points listening right now. <laughs> How should we spend those chase points? What's the best way to do it? I mean, I'm all about travel and hopefully we'll be able to unlock that and get back traveling all around the world. Travel. Where's the first place you're going after this all ends? I, I mean, I've traveled to Texas, uh, so I've had a little bit of travel and I can't wait to go back. But most importantly, I want to I can't wait to get my kids on a plane to continue to see the world mm. um, all around the world. I just think it's really important. Agreed. Tashonda, again, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been absolutely incredible. Well, let me just close by saying thank you. Um, you have been a phenomenal interviewer. You had me smiling. I'm just looking at you and looked at all the bios. You all are quite impressive. The future is bright because you all have made a lot of great choices and clearly being part of the Stanford family. I can't wait to see what you all do next um, as a family, as a, as a village, if you will. Um, but remember to always reach for the moon because even if you miss, you'll be among the stars and you know, your future is pretty bright. So thank you so much for the time. You've been listening to View From The Top, the podcast, a production of Stanford Graduate School of Business. This interview was conducted by me, Adrian Agueros of the MBA class of 2021. Lily Sloan composed our theme music and Kelsey Doyle produced this episode. You can find more episodes of this podcast at our website, www.gsb.stanford.edu and follow us on social media at Stanford GSB.